0: Hey y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serial Holic Sisters. True crime shit. Hey girl. Hey. Hey. So um we've gotten a couple messages. And <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna clear the air right now. I'm curious about how you're gonna clear the air. <laughs> Everybody keeps asking if I ever found out whose underwear that I found. <laughs> Um, in the laundry that were not mine. And the answer to that is no. <laughs> so um it's it's actually kind of funny. I think I know whose it is. Well, um, I, I don't know this story. you think you know who it is? I, I do think I know whose it is. Um, so my, are you gonna call son, them out right now? <laughs> no, no. My middle son is not my husband's biological son, and, so I mean, you know that, right? I was trying to <laughs> um, figure out where this was going, but the audience doesn't. So, um, when he goes to his dad's house, his dad was married at the uh, time. He's divorced now. Yeah, but we think what we think happened was when they did laundry over there, and Gunner wore his jeans. Um, they got stuck they in just, the laundry. Yeah, they got stuck in his pants or something, or any any or when he was folding the clothes that I. Um, sent him over in. I just. I feel like they could have just made their way into the backpack or whatever. I. I honestly think that's what it was because they were like tiny.
1: That's probably it. I, yeah, they were tiny because I was like literally facetiming you when you were folding clothes, you're like, "What the hell is <laughs> like, this?" The
0: fuck,
1: the this is? <laughs> they were like tiny. <laughs> I feel like that's probably the answer, but I'm also just never gonna be satisfied until we can actually I know, confirm but- it
0: but my ex's um his ex-wife was was very ti- like she was a tiny woman she tiny was little thing. very small yeah she's a tiny little thing so um that's what i think it was um no i didn't freak out on my husband cuz i if anybody knows him, they know that he is definitely too lazy. <laughs> to oh <cheat>. my god, <laughs> the poor man! He really is. He's too lazy to cheat. He—it's too much work. It's too much effort, so he's just not gonna do it. <laughs>
1: I really do see that being too much work for him.
0: It, it is. He just—he's like, men or not?" And he's like, crazy. it's just not worth it. And I'm crazy, and I mean, it's, we all know it's just not worth it. <laughs> so yeah. So, so that's the story of the underwear that everybody keeps messaging me about. Um, it's, it's like the, the biggest mystery of all of the cases that we've done is. It is a mystery, <laughs> but I think I haven't solved. It's just not, there's not enough evidence. <laughs> I didn't want to like ask my ex. Yeah, and, that'd be awkward. At the time, wife and at the time, wife, yeah. Cause they're not married anymore and just been like, Hey, is this your underwear? Because that would have been weird. Is this your underwear at my so house? So it just, it just made its way in the trash.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Well, there you have it.
1: Kind of. So so this is your my- intro
0: for this episode.
1: <laughs> so it's my turn this week. It is my turn, and I told you last week I'm covering a pretty heavy, frustrating case. So get ready for all that. Yeah. Um. I actually had to take a break while I was researching it because it was just so tough to read some of the stuff. Um, Like I said before, we just have like a blanket trigger warning over our whole podcast, (laughs) but I will go ahead and let you know that this case does involve the murder of children. So the murders of children. So this week I am talking about Charles Carl, Charles Carl Roberts and the West Nickel Mine school shooting, also known as the Amish school shooting so let's oh i know it, it as uh,
0: well maybe not maybe i'm thinking of something different go on i,
1: I, I don't will, know that
0: name i will go on
1: um a, a lot of people notice the amish school proceed. shooting but <laughs> proceed okay so october 2nd 2006 began like any other normal day um for the old order amish community of nickel mines which is a village in bart township lancaster county pennsylvania So. Okay. Morning chores were completed, as they are every day. Chickens were fed, cows were milked. All the chores were done that morning. Twenty-six children left to go to school, like they do every school day. Uh, many of them meeting up and traveling together, skipping through fields on the way to school. Just always meet up and and go.
0: <laughs> like it's a. I'm, I'm setting the. I'm, I'm I'm painting the picture. Okay. I know. I'm just thinking of all these kids just act like actually skipping. It's like Laura Ingalls Wilder over here. Was like, that, that's <laughs> kind, kind of, of what it was like, though. Like for real. So,
1: and also I used to love watching Little House on the Prairie, by the way.
0: Oh, so did I, so did I. But that's because we grew up in a, in, when we come and visit grandma, that's all she ever had. That and Matlock. (laughs) That and Matlock and Walker, Texas Ranger. (laughs) Bonanza. Anyways.
1: (laughs) So they all attend. the other one? Mash.
0: Mash. Oh yeah. I
1: forgot about Mash anyways oh so they all attended west nickel mine school which was a typical amish one room school with like a school bell on the roof like it was just like a one room building little schoolhouse. Um, there was a ball field and an enclosed schoolyard where the children went out for recess of the 26 children attending school 11 of them were girls ages ranging from 6 to 13 and by 11 a.m that morning 10 of those girls had been shot It's oh, awful it is awful so not far from Nickel Mines in Georgetown, at around 8.45 a.m., 32-year-old Charles Carl Roberts was seen with his wife, Marie, walking the three young children to their school bus stop, as they did every morning. Roberts was a commercial milk truck driver for Northwest Foods, and he worked nights picking up milk from dairy farms around the area, including several Amish dairy farms in the Nickel Mines area. So he was, like, familiar with the area. Gotcha. After his kids got on the bus, Charles and Marie went their separate days. So usually he would go home and sleep after the kids got on the bus because he had been like doing the night shift or whatever. Marie went to a prayer study group meeting that she went to like every day. And when she returned home, instead of finding her husband, she found four separate letters. So one of them was addressed to her and one to each of the couple's three children. In his letter to his wife, Roberts wrote about the loss of the couple's first daughter, Elise, that happened, like, way back in 1997. So, Elise had been born three months premature, and she died 20 minutes after her birth. Uh And they, they, yeah, they took that really hard, like, as that's completely how anybody would. Um, He wrote that he felt like he needed to get revenge on the Lord for taking Elise from them, and that he wouldn't be coming home that's not the way to do that but okay (laughs) that's not the way to deal with that he took it hard and he'd been holding on to that so that was 1997 when they lost her and this was 2006 and he had just been taking it real hard that whole time um so his letters described how he was filled with hatred for god and hatred for himself he wrote to his wife that when he was about 12 years old he had molested two younger female relatives that had been around three to five years old at that time. Oh my God. What? Yes. So apparently he's been holding on to that since he was 12 years old. And so that's where the hatred for himself comes from. So he's just filled with all this, all of these terrible, angry feelings. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. Did you? Your face (laughs) looks very shocked. Uh -uh. So he had told her in his letter that he had been having tormenting dreams for the past few years about what he had done all these all those years ago and he wanted to do it again so
0: oh that escalated too it did this whole thing
1: just escalates like so bad so in the letters to his children he wrote that he loved them and that he was sorry he wouldn't be around to watch them grow up which like you totally could have been dude you chose to do this like you didn't have to do this I feel like it's more awful that he's acknowledging that he's making these choices knowing the consequences that's going to happen like for not only for his family but for all these other families right
0: right so after reading so how can you how can you sit back and be like oh i've got i've got to do something to punt because i've got to punish the lord for doing this no you're just punishing helpless little right Other people's families right that shouldn't have to go through that you piece of
1: shit <laughs> yeah, piece of shit so after reading the letters marie was afraid that her husband was planning on committing suicide like that's what she took from it because he was like oh i, mean, I, I all could this- see that though. yeah i could totally see that everyone around roberts including his co-workers had noticed a change in his personality over the past few months so like in the community he was known as a quiet hardworking man he was like a church-going family man but over the past few months he had become much more quiet than normal and he just seemed like unhappy like all the time just super sullen right so suddenly in the week leading up to this day he just suddenly started seeming more like himself he seemed happier he was more involved in his family he was like playing with the kids and just seemed like he was doing better and marie thought well he's finally getting over this funk that he's been in like this is great well in reality it seemed that he had decided on what he was going to do and had just like come to peace with it well then her phone rings and it's charles so he tells marie that he's not going to be coming home and that the police are there but don't worry about it like okay (laughs) cool no worries that's normal call from your husband right like i'm not coming home but like the police are here but it's fine like don't worry about it but i'm not coming home police are where they're there with him so she tries to keep him on the phone exactly he's not explaining anything she has no idea what the fuck's going on she's trying to keep him on the phone she like pleads with him to come home so they can talk about it but then he's like like again he's like no i'm not coming home and he hangs up the phone well she's terrified she's like what the fuck's happening so she calls 911 And she told the dispatcher her name and said that her husband just called her from his cell phone and like what he had said and that she was really scared and just didn't know how to find out what was going on. So the dispatcher asked for her address, her husband's name, a description of him and what kind of vehicle her husband was driving. At almost the exact same time, Charles also calls 911. So, yeah. So I have the transcript from the call. So I'm just going to read you like the transcript. Okay, so... 911 dispatcher says, Lancaster County 911, do you need the police, fire, or ambulance? Hello, your phone is cutting in and out. Do you have an emergency? Charles says, yes. 911 dispatcher, okay, what's the address of the emergency? Charles says, it's on White Oak Road. I just took uh, 10 girls hostage, and I want everybody off the property or else. 911 dispatcher, okay, all right, hold on a second. Charles, now. And she's like, the dispatcher's like, hello. Like, he's got a poor connection. It's, it's a lot of her saying hello and him like, yeah. And then she gets back on there and, sh- and she's like, so what's the problem there? And he's like, don't try to talk me out of it. Get them all off the property now. So she's like, sir, I want you to stay on the phone with me. I'm going to call the state police down there. I need to let you talk to them. So I'm going to transfer you. And he's like, no, tell them that's it right now or they're dead in two seconds. And the phone, like the line goes dead. She's like, sir, listen to me, just hold on and the line goes dead. So that's terrifying. So now I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell you about Charles's day after he and Marie took the kids to the bus stop. So he went home, he left the four suicide notes for Marie to find, and they left his house for the last time. He drove Marie's grandfather's blue GMC pickup truck and around 1045 AM, he parked it in front of the West Nickel Mine schoolhouse, not long after the children had returned into the class from recess. So people had seen him outside of the school and nobody really thought anything about him Um, like walking up to the front door because this school, in this classroom, they had like an open invitation for visitors to just come and join the class like every
0: day. Which is not a good idea.
1: No, but like on the blackboard, (laughs) there was a sign that had like a teddy bear on it and it read, visitors bubble up our days. Like they welcome visitors all the time, which is like, like you said, no, that's not a good idea. That's a terrible idea. That's, That's an awful idea, but okay. So they actually had four adult visitors in class that day. And they were all related to Emma May Zook, who was the teacher.
0: Okay.
1: So that day, Mrs. Zook's mother was visiting along with her sister and her two sisters-in-law. One of them was pregnant and had two infant children with them. So it's like a whole family affair up in here. So the teacher, her mom, her sister, sisters-in-laws, nieces, like all kinds of people
0: sisters cousins cousins (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) so when Charles walked into the schoolhouse some of the students recognized him because remember he picks up milk deliveries like from some of their dairy farms right so they like knew who he was they weren't like at all like oh no who's this man just (laughs) no stranger danger for them no they're like come on in we like visitors they bubble up our days so he had met several of them on several different occasions. He'd like seen them playing in their own yards Had spoke to their parents several times, like all this stuff. None of them are alarmed. He then asked Mizuk and the students if they had seen a missing clevis pin anywhere on the road outside
0: of the schoolhouse. Yes. Kind so of when, an odd question, but okay.
1: When I read that, I was like, what the hell is a clevis pin? Cause I didn't know. So I Googled it and apparently <laughs> it, it is, it's similar to like a bolt. So if you imagine, like, a horse and buggy situation, like, which is how it's the common mode of transportation in the Amish community, the horse would be, like, harnessed with that bolt thingy that would hold them to the buggy, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's a clevis (laughs) pin. So he walks in, and he's like, I'm missing a clevis pin. Have you seen it in the road? And they're like, no. So then he walks out, and he goes to the truck. And next thing you know, he walks back in, and he's holding a semi-automatic 9 millimeter pistol. He orders all of the boys in the class to come out to his truck and help him carry items that he had brought with him into the classroom. So during this time Mrs. Zook saw an opportunity to run to a nearby farm for help. So she took her mother and like took off running leaving her sister and sister-in-laws to like stay there with the children so the kids weren't there by themselves. She was like
0: which is still awful, but okay. <laughs> she was like, save yourself. No, she was like, we're going to go get help. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> <want> for themselves. <laughs> no, so she was, they were like,
1: we're going to get help. Um, y'all watch the kids, like, whatever. So yeah. Charles sees them running and he orders one of the boys to get them and bring them back. Telling them that if they don't bring them back, then he was just going to shoot everybody that was in the school. So can you imagine like this young child going through this and being told? Like, if you don't do that, I'm going to shoot everybody in here. Like, that's freaking terrifying. So Zook and her mother ended up making it to the nearby farmhouse. Like, it wasn't far. And it was owned by a man named Amos Smoker. So, which is a great name, by the way. Yeah. They tell him what's going on and they have him call 911. And he calls and the dispatcher's like, so what's going on? And he's like, there's a guy with a gun in the school. And the dispatcher's like, okay, like what school? (laughs) And he tells them, <laughs> like, I need more information. Um, <laughs> like,
0: can you specify the school?
1: Right. So he, like, gives, <laughs> gives the, them all the info. And they're like, well, that's the state police jurisdiction. So stay on the line. line I'm going to transfer you. And he's like, okay, cool, whatever. So they transfer him. Um, he hears state police dispatch center. And he says, yes, this is Amos Smoker. And then the line goes dead because apparently that's a pattern in this case like
0: oh my god right
1: <laughs> so while, while all of this is going on charles is having all the boys in the class bring in like a ton of shit from his truck he then used two by six and two by four boards that he had brought with him to barricade the door like he'd brought all kinds of tools he's like to, barric- yeah so nobody could come in right he then lined up all of the hostages against the blackboard Um, The pregnant sister-in-law was trying to comfort seven-year-old Naomi Rose when Roberts ordered all of the adults and infants to leave. He then ordered all 15 of the male students to leave. So all that's left is the young girls. Which is so terrifying. Uh Uh-huh. Well, nine-year-old Emma Fisher, one of the 11 female students, actually escaped with the boys because she didn't understand his orders. So she had been sitting beside her brother when he ordered all the boys to leave and so she just like followed her brother out the schoolhouse and she was she was safe i know isn't that terrifying but she was safe so she was good their sisters 13 year old marion and 11 year old barbara stayed behind roberts had the 10 remaining girls lie down facing the blackboard he then tied their hands and feet and he told the girls that he was sorry for what he was about to do but quote i'm angry at god and i need to punish some christian girls to get even with him Uh uh-huh this, this is awful. Uh,
0: this whole. It's making my stomach churn. Mm-hmm, this whole thing is <laughs> awful. Makes,
1: uh, I'm sorry, everyone. Around that time, the state police actually arrived because they got enough information from the first dispatcher. And so. That they could. Yes. So the good. state police arrived and they tried to reason with Roberts over like the PA system. Roberts ordered them to leave the property or he would shoot. He's also yelling, I'm going to make you pay for my daughter like just yelling it out. Um, during this time, that's when he called 911 and told the dispatcher to make everybody leave or else. And Oh, meaning yeah. the, the state police. Yeah, that's when he called his wife. I was wondering and said, who he yeah. was talking about. That yeah. makes sense. So that's when he had called his wife and said, I'm fine, but the police are here. And then he called them and told them to get everybody off the property. So we're back up to that point now. Knowing that things weren't going well, 13-year-old Marion Fisher steps up. So she pleaded to Roberts to shoot her first, hoping to stall and buy more time for the other girls in the room.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. she's only 13. That's so sad. Yes. And that's the one,
1: that's the sister of the nine-year-old girl that escaped with the Right. So her 11-year-old sister, Barbara, known by her friends as Barbie, followed her lead and also asked Roberts to shoot her first. So they're both like trying to like stall to make time for the other girls to get out roberts tells police if they don't vacate the premises in two seconds he's going to start shooting they again try to talk him down through the pa system and roberts opens fire so police hear gunshots start going off and immediately they like break through the windows since they can't get through the doors because they've been barricaded during this time roberts shot all 10 girls and then himself he was immediately pronounced dead on the scene in addition to another suicide note that was found in his truck police discovered a checklist of 16 items that, quote, matched evidence that was seized at the crime scene. So among these listed items was a 12-gauge shotgun, a 30 op 6 rifle, about 600 rounds of ammunition, a stun gun, two knives, a box containing a hammer, hacksaw, wrenches, wire, binoculars, a candle, earplugs, and KY jelly the fuck was he planning to do right so they found actually found two tubes of ky jelly at the school in his stuff and it's speculated that he had planned on acting out on his like recent desires that he was talking to his wife about right and that's why he'd like sent all the boys away and how he was gonna get revenge like on god for taking his daughter and all this stuff but it, it he ran out of time like the police got there too fast for what he thought was going to happen and all that Mm -hmm. stuff so he just panicked and shot everybody because he's fucking awful all this is awful so now i'm going to make you sad because i'm going to run through the victim list and tell you a little bit about each of them okay because they're way more important than this piece of shit monster that did all this of course so we're going to talk about them so 13 year old marion fisher was the oldest of three daughters in the fisher family being the oldest daughter she had her own room And she loved helping her dad in the evenings on the dairy farm. The three girls had a huge family and they grew up in a connected four family household that included their paternal grandparents, their grandmother, and their widowed aunt and and her two daughters. So like they all lived together, this big ass family. Yeah. When they were small, the girls would play Barbies with their older cousins and Marion and Barbie would like to... (laughs) They would play the roles as as babies, so they would play, like, mama and babies, and those two would be the babies for all the older cousins to, like, play with. So Marion was the girl that tried to stall by asking Roberts to shoot her first and give the other girls time to escape. She died at the scene. Her sister, 11-year-old Barbie, followed her older sister's lead and also asked to be shot to spare the younger girls. So she shared a room with the 9-year-old Emma that had escaped. Barbie was shot with a 9 millimeter pistol in the hand, leg, and shoulder. And she was hospitalized for several weeks, but she ended up surviving her injuries. Oh, that's great. Yes. Okay. Next, we have eight-year-old twins, Liz and Lena Miller. So they were super close. They slept in the same room like they had, they shared an oak bed and they shared a rose quilt that they loved that was given to them by a relative. They loved, Liz loved to be outdoors gardening or working in the barn with her father. And Lena enjoyed working in the house with their mother lena was also known by the family as a chatterbox and when she was excited she would start talking way too fast and like nobody could understand her mm-hmm. and that sounds like like my daughter's friend she comes over and she's just like non-stop and, and i'm like whoa slow down mm-hmm. use your words i don't know what you just said <laughs> so she liked to tiptoe around the house and jump out and scare people Aww. that was like a fun little game and so they gave her the nickname of little mouse because she was like a sneaky little mouse that would jump out and scare people Both girls were very helpful around the house. They would do things like water the flowers and help with laundry. They loved to help shell peas. And they both really liked treats and Smarties were their favorite candy. Uh So they were transported to, to two separate hospitals that day. Lena went to Milton S. Hershey Medical Center in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And Liz went to Christiana Hospital in Newark, Delaware. Both girls died from their injuries on October the 3rd, the next day.
0: Yeah. That's sad.
1: Mm-hmm. Next is Sarah Ann and Anna Mae Stoltzfus. They were four years apart. They were the only girls in a family that included six brothers. So they were like super close because they were the only girls. They shared a room and they had a small little like dish that they had on their dresser. And in the dish, they would leave each other little like playful notes and jokes for each other they had a trampoline and like jumping on the trampoline outside Uh, they both did very well in school sarah ann's favorite pastime was reading um the parents had like a little market stand where they sold amish like furniture and when the girls weren't in school they would help out with the stand and 12 year old Anna Mae, she really liked math a lot so she liked working um the cash register at their little stand that was like her favorite thing to do um she also really enjoyed helping with the laundry, which is weird because I hate laundry. <laughs> she might
0: be too. Like but I don't that, mind washing and drying laundry; it's the folding that I hate. Yeah, I just want to get it done. Well, she liked doing laundry, and that was
1: good because it was a pretty constant chore at their house because they had like a family of ten. Oh, so yeah. you she do
0: laundry every day, girl. <laughs> right?
1: She was actually in the middle of folding laundry on the morning of October second before they left for school and she wanted to finish folding it before she left but her parents like didn't want her to be late so like you go on and stop it here and if you want like we'll leave it and you can finish it when you get home because you like folding clothes because you're weird so (laughs) so she headed off to school um and then she she never made it home to finish the laundry she died that day Anna Mae was transported from the scene and was declared dead on arrival and then Sarah Ann, her sister, survived her injuries and was able to return home after several weeks in the hospital.
0: It's so sad hearing about the, the siblings know. where one of them dies and the other survives because they have to live with that, too. It's also sad. Not only did they have to, like, witness it all and be a part of it, but then, mm-hmm. like, having to deal with the fact that they lost their sibling in the it's, same sense too yes
1: it's so awful it's
0: heartbreaking
1: so seven-year-old naomi rose eberson Ebersol. that wasn't even close Ebersol. anyways naomi rose was named after her grandmother she had five brothers and her brothers were super protective of her because she was like this little the little girl she was the baby she like loved playing along on their adventures and then they would play dolls with her and she liked going to the mailbox and collecting mail and so she would just like go out to the mailbox and wait for the mailman to come deliver the mail because she liked getting the mail so much um on her birthday in july naomi rose got her first dog of her very own and it's a little puppy and she originally named the dog margie but then that name didn't really work out because it was too similar to her brother's name marvin and so she would be like calling for Margie to come and Marvin would walk in and be like, what's up? And she's like, no, I mean the dog, like go away. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. So she, Margie ended up becoming Shirley because that wasn't close to anybody's name. <laughs> there you so, go. So she loves her puppy. She loves school, but she loved her parents even more and hated leaving them. So most mornings she would like start crying and not want to leave home and go to school, which is really sad um but then she would like get over it and walk with her brothers to school right so the morning of the shooting was no different she cried she didn't want to leave to go to school and they're like it's fine you'll you'll have a good day like it'll be fun whatever and naomi rose ended up dying on the scene in the arms of a state trooper i know so
0: the was also the little all that was being consoled that's right? what I was like, about to say
1: the pregnant sister of the teacher that was consoling her um ended up naming her baby Naomi Rose after her oh that's so sweet I know I
0: read Thanks that and I was like that. oh my god
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> it's all so freaking sad I'm just this is a bummer guys so
0: <laughs> this really is a bummer what the fuck's wrong with you <laughs> it's just a bummer <laughs>
1: Um, eight-year-old Rachel Ann Stoltzfuss was the second oldest of four kids. She loved playing with dolls and helping out around the house. They all seem super helpful, by the way. It all, everything about I was about, about all to them. say, what
0: happened to that generation? Because I'm going to need my kids to step up their game. Uh, they are all just super <laughs> helpful
1: and like so happy to do it. Um, her 14-year-old brother, Raymond, was one of the 15 boys that was there and that Roberts had ordered to leave the schoolhouse. And Raymond later told a neighbor, that he saw roberts tying his sister up through the window which is heartbreaking um oh, and he, he said he couldn't comprehend how little children could just be shot in cold blood raymond said i just can't see why that man thought he had to do this did he know what he was doing or like what i just don't understand so rachel ann was shot in the jaw and shoulder and she was put in critical condition for weeks after the shooting but she did end up making a full recovery and she was able to return to school a few months later so that's good um the second oldest girl in the school was 13 year old esther king esther loved dogs singing and her stamp kit (laughs) so she had like this little stamp kit and she would use it to make cards with little pictures and like she would put bible verses Um, on it and she would send it to like her friends and relatives in the mail and stuff like that was her thing um she shared a room with one of her two sisters and she had four brothers Two of them had walked with her to school that morning, um, but some of them were, like, older, so they weren't going to school anymore. Like, um, five years before the shooting, her 17-year-old brother that wasn't there, her 17-year-old brother and her dad, who was an Amish minister, had a accident, like, a van crashed into the back of the buggy that her dad was driving, and her dad ended up dying that day. And her brother suffered a broken pelvis and a broken leg, but he ended up surviving the accident. So Esther would also become a survivor because she recovered from all of her injuries and she was able to go back to school. That's
0: got to be, that's got to be very, very hard to deal with as their family too. Right. I couldn't even imagine. Esther's
1: cousin, six-year-old Rosanna King was in her first year at school. So uh every morning she was eager to get up and start the day. She loved playing memory games and she could beat many of her relatives, including her two brothers at these games. She also loved playing with her dolls and playing ball outside with her brothers. She was very helpful and enjoyed baking and peeling potatoes, which I also really don't like peeling potatoes. Like that takes forever. I was about to say, (laughs) I
0: I honestly hate, it. I have like a super easy potato peeler. It doesn't matter. I do I too, but bread. like, I just don't
1: like doing it. Also, I'm very clumsy and I end up nicking myself like all the time.
0: Also, I just hate to cook in general. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not even just the potatoes. Like I hate cooking. In fact, I beg my husband nine times out of the 10, what can I make that's easier than what you've suggested <laughs> do you want, for do dinner? You want sandwiches? <laughs> do you want sandwiches? <laughs> do you want some sandwiches? Let me make you
1: some sandwiches. <laughs> no Thurman Merman. I don't want a sandwich. <laughs> Anyways, so she liked peeling potatoes. Um, one of her favorite things to do was sing. So a few weeks after the shooting, her classmates came to her home to sing to her and they didn't know if she could hear them or not because she was like in a coma and like doing so bad. Um, she had been shot in the head. And her prognosis was not good. Doctors were certain she would not survive her injuries. So two days after the shooting, her family requested that she was taken off of life support so that she could go home and like spend her final days with her family and friends. Well, then she slowly began showing signs of improvement. And so they brought her back to the hospital. And she is alive today. She's permanently wheelchair bound, but she is able to sometimes move her limbs. And everybody just thinks it's a miracle that she was able to pull through it all. Like, they did not think she was going to make it. So
0: that's that's good.
1: (laughs) Right. So of the 10 girls shot by Charles Roberts, five were killed and five were, were wounded but survived. Family members of the 15 male students who escaped say that several of the boys have been in counseling for years after due to survivor's
0: guilt, which is just awful. But that is so awful, yeah, especially being the siblings to like there was these nothing these there was nothing they could have done though, right. I mean that that's just it's all just awful. um and, and that little boy that had to, the boy that had to help carry things in, and then the other boy that had to go after the right too, I mean, I can't, yeah Mm-mm.
1: in the days after the tragedy, um what came next shocked the world and kind of outshone the shooting itself so word spread that the amish community had not only forgiven roberts but that some of the family members of the victims had reached out to marie and his parents and like went over and comforted them in the hours after the shooting not long after it happened which like you have to feel really bad for his wife and kids and all that but yeah.
0: But I feel like it would be really hard to do that. I was going to
1: say they're much bigger people. Yeah. They're much bigger people than me because as a parent, I don't think I would be able to do that if my child was a victim or something like this.
0: As a parent, if my child was a victim, I, it's not a, I don't think it's a, I would not for sure. Right. I wouldn't be, they are bigger, bigger people than me because I would not either. It would take a lot for me to. Like speak to the family even though I know even though I know it's it's not their fault
1: yeah and they're also like they're a victim in it too. right they're also mourning and they're a victim and they're grieving I mean they lost their loved one that they thought was perfect for them right so today those I saw articles that are more recent and it said that those parents want the world to know that while the decision to forgive Roberts was made quickly actually forgiving him was a process that took several years like they didn't just start to forgive him um a father of one of the victims that was killed said i think i have a quote he said yeah quote forgiveness is not an instant overnight thing when the subject of forgiveness first came up the story in the media was that we forgave him and that was all there was to it the reality of it is a choice was made immediately that we would forgive For most of us, that choice was probably made the first day, but it took several years before most of us could actually feel as though we had forgiven him. And even now we're still going through that process. There was no doubt in my mind that from the beginning, I would forgive Charles, but it took a couple of years before I could say I did and could truly mean it. And there's still times when things come up that reawaken the bitter feelings and the process has to be gone through all over again,
0: which it's real sad. Everything's real. I just keep saying it. It's real sad. This is just a really sad episode, and I just, you're an asshole. I know. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and blame Shannon for this episode, <laughs> because i had asked her I'm a while back.
0: Blaming, I'm still blaming Shannon for pound class. <laughs> that <laughs> so, was fun, though. You're fucking welcome. I mean, I'm holding that grudge, so way to be, Shannon. Way to be. <laughs>
1: So I had asked her a while back for like suge- case suggestions and she like gave me this little list and this was on there. And so I was like, oh, let me look into this. This is interesting. And then I got sucked into it and then I got sucked into it and was like, this is awful and I can't read it, but I have to finish it. And like, so thanks a lot, Shannon. Everybody know that this is Shannon's fault <laughs> We love now you. She's gonna, get, she's gonna get like hate emails. <laughs> Dann- don't hate Shannon. She's the best. We love her. So, <laughs> the west nickel mine school was demolished the following week like they just knocked it down the next week oh, good um they said that there was there was so much blood in there that there was no way they could get it all out oh. and also it would just be awful for those kids to have to go back there and relive that would, every day
0: I, I wouldn't want to do that either i would never make my kids do that no so
1: the site where the school was is still nothing like they just left it as a pasture there's nothing there the new hope school was built at a different location that was close by but not too close to the original site and it was opened about six months after the shooting in april of 2007 and And, it's no
0: longer open to
1: the public (laughs) right no visitors ever fuck so Mm -hmm. (laughs) they built the new school um they like intentionally built it as different as possible from the original school so that the kids wouldn't have constant reminders of that awful day. Right. And, um, that's basically it. That is the awful case. There was no, that nobody saw that coming from him. Like, yeah, it's he, crazy. He, yeah. Nobody saw that coming. Everybody was just shocked. And he just, he had like no criminal record. There was nothing,
0: there's I mean, nothing. clearly he was hiding, he was hiding stuff because it was in his suicide notes, but still. Right,
1: right. He, yeah, but like he had no, like nobody had any idea to think that even anything like this could right. be going on in his mind, Um, which is like terrifying. Like you don't know what anybody's thinking ever. I'm just like, oh my God, are you planning on. Killing somebody, random person that just walked by me, <laughs> like you side eyeing. I am. <laughs> people are
0: like, lo- people are looking at you like, what the fuck are you looking at me? <laughs>
1: and I'm like, are they are they planning to murder me right now? Like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that is the really awful, terrible case. All
0: right. And now well, you're sad. I so, am. You're welcome. Um, we're gonna end this episode on a sad note
1: no um
0: i was like can't we think of anything not sad let's well i was gonna say um it's july 25th so next week is the last week of the month which means we've got another episode but it's our patreon exclusive episode um Mm -hmm. so if you guys aren't uh part of our Patreon team, fan base, whatever it is. I don't happening. know. Uh, <laughs> it's so awkward. I'm so awkward. anyways really are. <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah. So join it because you'll get to listen to. Join us. <laughs> join us. Drink the Kool-Aid. No, you'll get um. to hear July's episode and and all the other episodes that are on there too. So. And they're really it good. Is. It's your turn this, this month. It is so part. i'm excited to hear what you're gonna do Which i don't one? know if i'll be able to beat last episode that was so freaking hilarious It was, but <laughs> that was
1: the like most fun okay i mean it's awful because it's a murder case but it was the most fun it case. is it's <laughs>
0: awful but it was it was hilarious
1: <laughs> i mean it was a pretty fun one to
0: cover so yeah, yeah. that is right. that on that you can find all our stuff on serialholicsisters.com that's right find it join it follow it join it <laughs> all the good stuff.
1: All the good stuff. Until
0: next week, we're going to be awkward because that's what we do. Be awkward. Okay. bye. (laughs) Bye.